So like I said, my name is Dion, um, and uh, we are in between series this morning, so I get to, I have the joy of being able to preach a one-off, um, as they say, I get to kind of just do whatever I want. So uh, I'm going to do whatever I want. <laughs> um, but seriously, we're, today we're going to be talking about making peace um, with one another. Um, relational peace is something that we all really want, we all really you know, it's the most ideal. We don't want conflict relationally. We don't want awkwardness relationally. We don't want um, any kind of rift between each other relationally. We want to make peace with each other. But because we're all human, we know that this isn't just instantly achievable. We know that this isn't always the reality. We know that when we get into deeper relationships with one another, when we our friends, when, when we're family, and when we live in the same household, when we're married, we experience conflict. We experience rifts between one another. We experience hurting one another, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Humans just aren't good at keeping the peace. You turn on the news and see it. You turn on any reality TV show. This is Caleb's, you know, coin uh, example, but reality TV makes money off of the idea that you just put people in a room and there's conflict. Um, I was watching UFC yesterday. All you have to do is put two guys in an octagon and take their clothes off and they beat each other up. It's just, it's just natural. We just, humans cause conflict. And it's not good. It's not good for us. It's not, we don't enjoy it. We don't flourish. This person won't agree with me. This person won't see the light, won't be on my side. But we know that life is better without it or when it's resolved. And it just doesn't really make sense societally either. So we're talking about making peace with one another. We're talking about forgiving one another when we were wronged. We're talking about giving forgiveness, asking for forgiveness, mediating forgiveness. It just doesn't really make sense. With the way the justice system works, when someone wrongs you, you deserve repayment. In the justice system, when you do, when you do something wrong, you receive punishment. Forgiveness isn't something that is natural or, or really works in our society. Yet it's something that we can experience on a really, truly deep level. It's something that God gives us freely. And so this morning, we're going to be reading a really unique book called Philemon. It is in the New Testament. It is a letter written by Paul to his friend Philemon, who lives in Colossae. And we're going to really, it's really kind of a, a really cool case study on a situation between two believers and how they handle conflict and how um, God really gives them the graces to be able to work through um, relational drift, through conflict, to make peace with one another. And so God wants to make peace in your broken relationships. He wants that for you. We're going to find that in this letter this morning, and through that we're going to be able to see the different positions that we have in making peace. All of us will have to stand in every single one of these positions in our life. We'll see what the power that God gives us to make pieces, and we get to see what that beautiful product of what happens when we let God make peace in our relationships. So Philemon, like I said, is a really, really unique book. It's a personal letter. We, it's the only really personal letter in the New Testament um, written by Paul like in this form. Every, every letter to, to the, the pastors, every letter to the churches are all exhorting on a larger scale level of influencing multiple people. But this is between Philemon, his ex-slave Onesimus, and Paul. It's just a personal letter. It's actually only one page in my Bible, and it's right before Hebrews, right after Titus. 
I think. <laughs> Don't call me on that one, but I think it's right. Um, but so the situation that we're reading into is Philemon is a wealthy man who has slaves. Now, slavery back in this time, pre-100 AD, is not slavery like we th- think about it today. Obviously, our country and our world has a terrible history of what slavery is, and it's still not a good thing here, but it's not, kinda, it's not this racially divided, racially charged, even, not even as uh, uh, undignifying to, to humans in this time. Slavery was a little bit more of a, an occupation. Um, yes, you were born into it, and yes, you didn't really have a choice out of it, but it was more of a reality that you lived in and, more, and less of a, of a suffering real, reality than like the people that suffered from slavery in the history of America or the history of other um, countries. Um, but he, so Philemon owned a slave, and his name was Onesimus. And one day Philemon wakes up, and Onesimus is gone. Onesimus disappeared, and turns out some of Philemon's things also some of Philemon's things also disappeared. And, Philemon, and Onesimus is gone. He flees. He runs away to Rome, which is about a thousand-mile trip from Colossae. So he got as far as he could away, so he'd never have to see Philemon again. And he runs into a guy named Paul. We all know Paul. He's the guy that wrote the most, most of the New Testament. Um, he's the guy that we listen to most of his words um, to and how to engage in our relationship with Jesus. Um, and so Onesimus runs into Paul and Probably because Onesimus ends up in jail is my guess because Paul is in jail when he writes this letter, and they become brothers. Or Paul, you'll see in the letter, actually calls Onesimus his son. And Paul gives, preaches the gospel to Onesimus and converts him. And so Onesimus goes from being this heathen who steals and, and lies and runs away to a loved child of God. Paul preaches the gospel to him and converts him, and they build this beautiful friendship. And Paul sees it fit that he needs to send his son back to his slave owner to ask for forgiveness. And that is where we find ourselves. Onesimus carries this letter to his former owner, Philemon, pleading for forgiveness and allowing Paul to plead for forgiveness for him. Now, I usually bring this water bottle up here and never use it, but I'm still fighting off a cold, not COVID, a head cold. Um, so bear with me as I repair my throat real fast. <clears throat> All right. Repaired. Read with me in Philemon. All right. My, you guys might need to change the slide. All right, thank you. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Apphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God when I mention you in my prayers because I hear of your love for all the saints and the faith that you have in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. For I have great joy and encouragement from your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Oh, it's working now. For this reason, although I have great boldness in Christ to command you to do what is right, I appeal to you instead on the basis of love. I, Paul, as an elderly man and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my son Onesimus. 
I became his father while I was in chains. Once he was useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and to me. I am sending him back to you. I'm sending my very own heart. I wanted to keep him with me so that in my imprisonment for the gospel, he might serve me in your place. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent so that your good deed might not be out of obligation, but out of your own free will. For perhaps this is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you might get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a dearly loved brother. He is especially so to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your very self. Yes, brother, may I benefit from you in the Lord, refresh my heart in Christ. And since I'm confident of your obedience, I'm writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. Meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me, since I hope that through your prayers, I will be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, and Christ Jesus sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my co-workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. We just read a whole book of the Bible. So if you are down on your reading, give yourself a pat on the back, you just read a whole book of the Bible. You caught up. <clears throat> I'm so sorry, guys. So, Like I said, this is like a really cool, in-depth case study of forgiveness and making peace with our brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ. And so the first way we're going to look at this is kind of break down everyone who's involved. Onesimus, Philemon, and Paul. First one being Onesimus. Now, these are the positions that we all will have to take in making peace with one another. And so Onesimus, he's the first guy. He was a slave of Philemon's. And like we said, slavery wasn't what it, what it is now or what it was you know, 60, 70 years ago. But Paul wants to restore... <coughs> Paul wants Philemon to restore Onesimus. And so Onesimus is this guy, this slave that was owned and was really kind of an employee that betrayed his master, betrayed his boss, and left without consent. And we know from the letter that Onesimus owes some kind of debt to Philemon. He took stuff from him and that has to be paid back. And when he left, though, he found Paul. And Paul, like we said, preached to him the gospel, made him useful, and made him a Christian. But Paul found it fit that Onesimus needed to make restitution for what he did against Philemon. And so acknowledging his need for forgiveness, acknowledging his need to make restitution, to make things right, he chooses the right thing over his comfort and security that he had being thousands of miles away from the person who he owed his life to. And so... Onesimus takes this long journey back. Look, he could have have just decided to never see him again. A thousand miles is too long for Philemon to to do. It's not worth his time. And Onesimus decides that he will make the journey back. And Philemon has a lot of power in this situation. Back in this time, 
because Philemon owned Onesimus, he had the power to kill him. He had the power to do whatever he wanted with Onesimus' life. So not only is Onesimus overcoming his inconvenience, the inconvenience of going back and getting forgiveness, but he's also going back in with some fear that Philemon has his life in his hands, literally. And so maybe we've never been in a situation that we need, that, our, that someone else's life is in our hands, but we have all been, and if you haven't, you're a liar, um, or will be in this place of needing forgiveness from someone. We are human. We have selfish desires. We have bad days. We want things for ourselves that other people will have, whether it's objects, whether it's <clears throat> pride, whether it is um, some kind of honor that you want to receive from them. In some way, we will wrong one of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we'll be in this place. We will be in the place of needing to be forgiven. We're human and we'll hurt pe- people. And naturally, like we said in the intro, like we don't deserve that. It's not something that works out. When I wrong you, I deserve punishment, according to our judicial system, according to the laws of nature. When someone does something wrong, you deserve punishment. But he goes to him and still seeks forgiveness, despite our natural bent Philemon probably had a natural bent to want to kill him. Despite our natural bent of running away from fear, despite the natural bent of just the scales of justice. <clears throat> and so I think the beautiful picture about understanding Onesimus' position with Philemon and Paul is that when we understand our need for forgiveness, we understand our position with God more. We are in Onesimus' position <clears throat> with God. I'm so sorry, guys. This is not good. (laughs) It happens. People get sick. I'm in conflict with my body right now. I need to make peace with it. But when we understand Onesimus' position with Philemon, we can understand more deeply our position with God. The forgiveness that God more freely offers to us, the position that Philemon is being pleaded to offer to Onesimus, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that Philemon can run away, betraying him, and that Philemon can steal stuff from him and still just receive free forgiveness and acceptance back into Philemon's life. And so our first picture, our first position of making peace is that we must see ourselves, uh, is that this pushes us to see ourselves how we properly should see ourselves with God. God freely gives us forgiveness, yet we, even though we don't deserve it, and that defies the natural order. <clears throat> the second picture of positions that we have in making peace with one another is with Philemon. So this dude lost his employee. He lost his slave. He lost <clears throat> something that he owned, a person that he owned. He lost possessions that he owned, more than likely. And his respect is in the balance. Like we said, laws back then gave Philemon the rights to do anything he wanted to Onesimus once he sees him. He could kill him, he could imprison him, he could make him a slave again, make him pick up dog poop, chicken poop, I don't know. But what Onesimus needed, only Philemon could supply. A comprehensive forgiveness, a comprehensive um, making right of the wrongs that he did. 
Philemon had the, only had the power to do that. And he was being asked to welcome him back into his home and trust him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when you're in the position of someone's wronged you, I mean, maybe you offer forgiveness easier than I do. But I definitely don't offer someone back into my home, rights to my things, uh, and accepting as a brother just as easy as Paul is asking for him to do. Like, I'd be counting my spoons, counting my money, making sure my dogs were tied up all the time. Like, I don't want this guy back in my life because he's going he's gonna to betray me again. Yet that's what he's being asked to do. Paul didn't say forgive and forget either. He acknowledged the debt and said to charge it to, to my account. But Philemon's forgiving Onesimus seemed to mean also the care for him. It wasn't just forgive him. It wasn't just like slate clean. It was forgive him and make him, my bro- make him your brother, accept him back into your life and your heart, and care for him. He would need to let him not just in his home, let him not just back in his life, but into his heart as a dearly loved brother. He would have to answer for his forgiveness one day to Paul because they were friends. So there's a little pressure. When we read this letter, we see that Paul seems a little bit manipulative, and we'll get to that. But in the ancient world, forgiveness wasn't like the good thing. For Philemon, as a, as a wealthy, powerful man, forgiveness of Onesimus wasn't going to make him look like a good guy in the world's eyes. It's going to make him look weak and shameful and like a pushover. So it also wasn't even the societally like, chosen decision to give Onesimus forgiveness. I know when we're wronged, we want justice for that. Even if Olivia pours out my coffee before, I I want her to make me another cup of coffee, you know? These are the littlest things. How much more would Philemon want justice in this situation? So the scales of justice lean his way, and he would benefit from getting things back. He would benefit from getting his possessions back. He would benefit from having a slave back. Yeah, he doesn't. There's an implied obligation that Philemon has because, as we know, with how Paul greeted him, with how Paul considers him a brother in Christ, that he's obligated to offer free forgiveness because of his position with God. See, Onesimus and Philemon aren't on different ground. In God's eyes, in Paul's eyes, God forgave Philemon for all the wrongs that he's done. And so Philemon has to offer forgiveness and all these things that Paul's imploring him to do because of what God has done for him. Now, I'm going to do the thing where preachers usually like bring up a verse and you, know, you think it means one thing, but it really means another thing. In Philemon 6, verse 6, not chapter 6, there's one chapter in Philemon, if you've been listening. <clears throat> this verse is used often. Um, so it says, I pray that your participation in the faith may become effective through, every, through knowing every good thing that is in us for the glory of Christ. And this verse is used frequently to implore people to share their faith in evangelizing and sharing the gospel. And when you do that, it's saying that you will understand, <clears throat> you will know Jesus more. And I'm not saying that's wrong. When you share the gospel, when you make believers when you disciple people, you do go closer to God. You do grow farther in understanding into who God is. I'm not saying that's wrong. It's not false. But in this context, guys, we need to read Scripture in the context that it's written. 
Paul imploring his friends to make peace with one another. Faith sharing here is expressing forgiveness. So it's not evangelism, though that, like I said, it's true. But if Paul's saying, if you forgive, if you participate in the faith in forgiving Onesimus for his wrongdoings to you, you are going to understand Christ more. You are going to be closer to God. And so, guys, one of the ways that we grow closer to God is offering people what he offered us, or at least close to it. <laughs> we obviously can't do what Jesus did for us for other people, but we can't offer free forgiveness. We can't offer brother, uh, a brotherhood. We can't offer a family, even to the people that wrong us. And so, <clears throat> you know, Nesimus's position, we understand our place with God. In Philemon's position, we understand more of who God is and who he is to us. And now there's a third person. It's Paul. You guys ever seen those puppeteers that can talk through water? I think it's something they need to do in preaching school now for these situations. But Paul, he's the third person. He's the guy writing the letter. We know a lot about Paul. He's a prisoner for Christ. Jesus met him on the road to Damascus. <clears throat> he used to be a killer of Christians, a torturer of Christians, a rebuker of, of Christians. He was a you know, skilled, really knowledgeable Jew who didn't want the spread of Christianity. Then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus and turned him into a Christian, and then he wrote half the Bible. Pretty important guy. But Paul's appeal is much more different than any of his other appeals. Paul usually writes to these <clears throat> churches in Colossae, Corinth, in Rome. He writes to these young pastors, Timothy, Titus, and he is appealing to them on the basis of his authority that has been handed down to him by Christ. Paul is an apostle, and he has authority in the church to direct people what to do. But we see in this letter <coughs> that this is different than any other appeal that Paul offers. He says, though I have the power and the authority and the boldness to make you do something, he says, I'm going to appeal to you on the basis of love. So instead of commanding him, he appeals for him. He gives him the option. <coughs> Sounded horrible. So the one who somehow intercepted Onesimus we don't know how they met. We don't know how they came in, in contact with each other, but they did. He shared the gospel with him. And now he implores Onesimus to go ask for forgiveness from Philemon. <clears throat> he says, he pulls out all the stops from me. He, he tells him to charge his debt to my account. He says, refresh my heart. He says, I'm going to follow up. He says that, that he kind of doesn't pull rank, but it gets just about as close as you can to pull rank. He appeals on the basis of love. He said it would be beneficial for him. Paul says all these things trying to convince, trying to implore to mediate the peacemaking of Onesimus and Philemon. He's a little pushy, and he kind of puts him on the spot. He says, you kind of owe your life to me, dude. So, But he still, it's on the, it's on the basis of love. Because Paul pulls out all the stops. He does everything he can in this letter to make sure that when Onesimus is delivering it to Philemon, he doesn't get killed. <laughs> he gets accepted as a brother in Christ. So forgiveness for someone of this social standing, <clears throat> with this social standing between one another, 
can only be understood with the gospel. Just as Paul has pointed out all the stops for Philemon and Onesimus, God pointed out all the stops for us. Now, if you don't know the gospel, God created us to be good, these amazing creatures, to rule over his creation, and then the sin of one man ushered in crap. <laughs> the earth, personally, societally, we all experience dump now. It's not good. But God, because he loves us, sent his son for us to die on the cross so that we can have relationship with him again, so that we can experience fullness again, freely. He put out all the stops for us. He died in our place, the death that we deserved. And so we see through Onesimus, our position with God. Through Philemon, we get to know God more when we give forgiveness. And through Paul, we see that God put out all the stops for us. And this is really the only power that we have to offer or ask for forgiveness. See, Paul's demonstration of the gospel here, it's actually the only letter that Paul didn't explain the gospel because it's being lived out. Paul's explanation of the gospel here, or illustration of it, shows us that the only power that we have to make peace, like the right kind of peace, not just cleaning the slate, but giving us true life, TM, giving us real community, is through the power of the gospel. And so the power to make peace <clears throat> is through what Jesus did for you and me. Now this seems like it would be this, you know, he's imploring us to forgive one another. He's imploring us to make peace. This seems like it would be really hard all the time because it's so defying from our natural order. It's so defying from the laws of justice. Defying against our inner bent. Defying our wills. <clears throat> but what's being illustrated here is that because these two people, these three people, have been impacted by the gospel and what Jesus has done for them, they have the power to offer forgiveness and give forgiveness and make peace with one another. They were both formerly slaves to sin, but now they are owned and ruled by grace that was won by only Jesus' work on the cross. Something that's been done to us. So if you're asking, how, how, do, I, how do I conjure up, how do I conjure up this power to forgive people? How do I offer this power to ask for forgiveness, the boldness? It's like, we can't. We can't come up with that confidence. We can't come up with that power. The only way that happens is letting Jesus work in us. By creating rhythms of grace, you know, like you know, dying to ourselves, praying frequently, reading our Bible, rehearsing the gospel to ourselves. God is the one who is changing us. We are active in that, but God is the only one that, that can change us and give us the heart to ask and offer forgiveness. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said, we are saved by faithful, faith alone but not a faith that remains alone. True faith issues forward movement. And so God saved you, boom, this point, and we move forward. But God redeemed it all. So you start at this point and you're saved and God reaches back and redeems your past. And that's what we see on display here. The love of God transforms us from inside out. He doesn't just change us and save us and clean our slate, but he saves us to something. Not by compelling us against our will, but by changing our will itself. And so we understand our place in the story, our place with God. We understand more who of God is by offering forgiveness. 
to other people. And we understand through Paul to be mediators and implorers and exhorters of forgiveness. And that the only way that we can do that is by the power of Jesus Christ changing our hearts. So what comes of that? What is the product of making peace? In verse 21, he says, he knows that you will do even more than I say. Paul implores him to forgive him, to welcome him into his home, to care for him, and to accept him as a dearly loved brother. How much more can you do? Yet Paul is confident that through their love for one another, through their offering of forgiveness to one another, through Christ's changing of their heart, that it's going to become even more. He's already forgiving all those things, yet Paul is confident that he will do more. And so God doesn't just take away the damage and give us a clean slate. He's taking away the damage and giving us life literally as good as it gets, offering us life and community as, like, as good as it gets. You can't find it anywhere else. I know that you will do much more because God can, is the only one that can offer us much more. Yeah, in real life, you can say, yeah, I forgive you, and then live as cordial um, human beings. But without the gospel, you can't offer that in fullness and really have someone be a part of your family, part of your home. So this is community and friendship as good as it gets. The product of making peace with one another by the power of the gospel is as good as it gets. With the only common thread being that we were all sinners apart from God and that God has served as our mediator, creating a mosaic more beautiful than anything that anyone could come up with. So only through the gospel can we do this. When we forgive, we flourish as a community. And so uh, we're going to take communion here in a little while. Um, and if, you, if you're a Christian I, if you, and you didn't get a chance to grab a cup, now's the time to go get it. But in communion, we reflect on this power that God gives us. We reflect on the, the source of this power, which is Christ's work on the cross that has worked then and is still working now. And so as you reflect, as you take communion and, and commune with, with Christ, I want to implore you to ask him to reveal to you where you need to ask for forgiveness. Where you need to offer forgiveness. And maybe there's people in your life, in your community, that you need to be affecting change in people around you. Because it's only through this, through our communion with Christ, that we can be changed, that we can be changed to make peace with our brothers and sisters, to make peace with people in our lives. And when we do that, we flourish as a community. When we forgive, we flourish. Thank you for bearing with my throat today, and I'm going to pray for you, and then we will worship. Father, thank you for my friends this morning. Um, Thank you for Philemon and Onesimus and Paul and working in their conflict, God, to show us just the power that you have, the power to make enemies into, into friends, the power to create a community that is more than we could ask or imagine, the power to give us life that is more than we can ask or imagine. God, we are so grateful for the example that you've given us in Philemon, but we're also just grateful for the offering that you gave us of eternal life and true life. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.